not gonna lie, I've been really dragging my feet on this final episode. I think there are a variety of reasons why this is true, and I think a big part of it is that I just have really enjoyed this project and I'm a bit sad that it's over. But alas, we will push forward and see how things go. I think it's important to note two things. One, that I really, really, really love research. Like it brings me so much joy and kind of almost this positive panic when I get on a researching role and I find all these great articles and books. But also that no matter how much research I do, this conversation on belonging is still incomplete. And I think it's necessary that it's incomplete, but there's still something that's not quite satisfying about that conclusion. So this episode includes snippets, bits and pieces, but never quite the whole truth of what belonging is and what it means and how we built it. This project has been really exciting for me because it's allowed me to look back at all of the research I've done over the course of my degree. I think I chose quite well in terms of using belonging as my topic because it allowed uh, a lot of overlap with other projects that I had done, or rather the projects I had done filter in really well to belonging. So I did a lot of research on poverty and education, Aboriginal education, mindfulness and education, learning disabilities and exceptionalities, positive teacher leadership, school culture and flourishing, school dropout, alternate education programs. And if you kind of build a Venn diagram of all of these topics, the piece in the middle is almost always belonging. Kind of this relationship piece and care for others and all these things. So I'm really excited to bring in a lot of my favorite pieces of pedagogy along with all this research. In terms of format for this last episode, it is going to be me talking and um, we're going to talk about a few different things. So we'll start with kind of definitions of belonging and where belonging has kind of popped up in the research. We'll spend a bit of time talking about why belonging is important and what the research says about that. We will talk a bit about belonging and the sense of self and identity and developing uh, self-awareness. A big portion of the research focuses on belonging and teachers and how teachers help to build belonging at schools. But then the last piece is on belonging and school culture. So that's kind of the roadmap for this episode. Hope this is interesting to you. If you're sick of my voice already, well, get ready. It's going to be a long time. One of the big pieces that came up in pretty much every interview was trying to come up with a definition of what belonging actually is. And I think this was a piece that wasn't terribly important to me, but was quite important to my, some of my participants. And uh, so I found that very interesting and I did a lot of research on how belonging is really defined because it turns out researchers are also very interested. So kind of the first time it really pops up in research um, is within the research of Desi or Desi and Ryan, which we talked about in one of the episodes when it comes out of the motivation theory of self-determination where you have the ABCs. So the autonomy, the belonging, or at the beginning, it was actually called relatedness and competence. But it's pretty common that belonging pops up 
in other things. So in 1993, kind of the original research on belonging was uh, Goodenow and Grady. And so they defined it as the extent to which students feel personally accepted, respected, included, and supported by others, especially teachers and other adults in the school social environment. Similar definitions exist, um, but very regularly, this is the one that is used and reused and reused. Uh, in 2009, Faircloth explained belonging is understood to involve an effectively positive personal connection encompassing social ties and or a feeling of congruence or fit between a student and their learning experiences or environment that are seen by the students to be supportive of their engagement in learning in that setting. That is very wordy, <laughs> but really a lot of the things are saying the same thing. It's about the personal connections that you have, um, and often it's including the adults that you're having personal connection with as well as peers. Um, it's about the school atmosphere, the engagement, those sorts of things. There is some confusion around belonging and the other terms that can be used. And they're all, they're all a little bit different, but all very similarly defined. So sometimes belonging is referred to as school engagement, school attachment, bonding, climate, involvement, teacher support, school connectedness, relatedness. But it's all fairly similar if we go back and look at the, the real roots of the definition, which is why to me, I think it wasn't that important to have a definition because at the end of the day, I truly believe that belonging is a deeply personal thing and how we choose to define it and how we choose to find it and feel it is still, though I believe as educators, we can grow and change and add to make belonging more possible, more plausible, it's still a personal piece. At one point throughout this project, I had to explain this project to a group of people and uh, talk about my project and all these sorts of things. And um, one of the people who was adjudicating said to me, they left a comment on, on a little sheet for me that says, does belonging mean different things according to age, culture, gender, or race? And I think my answer to that is probably from the various research that I did, there were some studies, though not a lot of studies, that talked about uh, belonging from different cultural points of view. Uh, an article by Sarah V et al. that was published in 2009, and it actually looked at um, school belonging among urban students in Mexico City and really did explain that a lot of the research on belonging is from a very Western, white, generally privileged background with a fixed definition of belonging, which is different than what, what they believe. And they actually looked into whether different cultures where it was more collectivist or more individualistic, uh, they looked at relationship of power, like within the government and things like that. But they didn't really come up with any truly conclusive statements, but rather just said that belonging is socially and culturally constructed. It's fluid and it's multidimensional, which I think is a much clearer and more concise way of saying what I said before, which is it can be whatever it needs to be. 
Um, participation, conflict, and power relations are all involved in creating belonging and defining belonging, but it can be different and it can be contradictory. And one person's version of belonging may be different than another person's version of belonging. Um, this information all came from one of the points that they mentioned, which I think is interesting and ties in really well with one of the conversations I had in episode four is that a feeling of not belonging need not always be experienced negatively. For many of us, there exists a tension between wanting to be similar to and belong to others while wanting to be unique and different from others, which is common among adolescents. I thought that this quote was really interesting for the context that I had originally tried to be part of, which was belonging in a middle school context. And I think that that's true, but I don't really think that being unique and different from others means that you shouldn't be able to belong. Like to me, those kind of, they butt heads with each other. Um, I think to me, the most important thing to remember is that our students and, and the humans that we meet are able and need to be given opportunities to say what they need and to talk about what belonging actually means. Christine Sleater explains that in order to create systems that are socially just, we need to assume that people know and can name their own reality and needs better than anyone else. And I think sometimes we take that for granted that we, we as teachers think that we know best or can see, and it is our, it is our job to be there and to see, but also that these kids know. Our students know and can name their own reality and let them do that and, and let's give opportunity to, to hear what they actually have to say. As a nice transition, I did have the opportunity with one of our interviewees, I was substituting in, in their class and they said, they wrote in their subplan notes, hey, if you want, do you wanna ask kids about belonging and have them write about it a little bit? And uh, the kids were so excited to do this. And so it was a group of high school students and I will note that I did ask them if it was okay if I used their responses and they did tell me that it was okay. Um, and I'm not going to attach any names to them, but. And I just kind of took bits and pieces of what they had to say about belonging and what it meant. So it was often about a lack of feeling judged where you feel like you can be yourself or you can be productive. Um, some talked about forming a community one person said like where you can feel the passion of the group and you feel like someone is excited to see you heard and safe. Um, I really like this definition, a feeling you get in your stomach when you're like on a roll, which I think is kind of interesting that it's a, that that particular student discussed it as a, a physical feeling. Feel free to express who you are, accept others for their quirks when you're completely comfortable. Um, I think the feeling of belonging comes from everyone who surrounds you. So I really like those different pieces and there's so many more of them, but I really like that kids are able to, they're able to speak their truth and, uh, and tell us what they, what they want and what they need, but we don't always ask them. And that seems like such a simple, Thing and you're like, yeah, of course, ask my students. But sometimes I find that as a teacher, I get so caught up in 
this is what I'm supposed to do or we're doing this or we have this plan or I think I'm a good enough teacher so I know what's going on. It's okay to just ask them. And I think that's part of being culturally responsive and just in tune with, with what your students need. Overwhelmingly, the research on belonging mainly focuses on whether belonging actually matters or not. So there isn't that much research on how to build belonging or, you know, great practices to use and all of these things. It's a lot more of like, is belonging really important? Does it really matter? It turns out that it does. So in the 1970s, when Maslow uh, developed the hierarchy of needs, a need to belong is considered a basic human need. And so many people uh, cite Maslow for those things um, right from the beginning. However, there are also um, other reasons why belonging is so important. So Anderman and Leek in 2005 explained that positive interpersonal relationships and classroom climate are important not only for increasing students' sense of well-being and enjoyment of school, but also for engagement with learning. So in order to really build the engagement in learning and also have kids enjoy their life and enjoy their schooling, you need to have positive relationships. You need to have a great classroom climate, which is belonging, folks. Um, they also find that when there's a strong sense of school belonging, there is an avoidance of risky behaviors and there's a much less likelihood of withdrawing from school or dropping out of school altogether. Many Articles also cite that a greater sense of belonging at school means less psychological health and social problems, a lower rate of delinquency, less use of drugs, etc., etc. Students with a high sense of belonging are more likely to be motivated and academically engaged, especially among racial minorities. Um, the article I was reading about was especially for Hispanic students as they tend to have communal values rather than individualistic or competitive values. And so they have a great need to feel a sense of belonging at school in order to be academically engaged. A big piece of belonging has to do with the self. So... In one of the episodes, we talked a lot about how belonging has a lot more to do with your own personal concept of self and ideas around your identity. There's a lot of research that goes along with that. Um, so Goodenow in 1993, she was very busy in 1993, uh, spent a lot of time looking at belonging in adolescence specifically and talks a lot about how at this time, there's a lot of changes in self-consciousness um, in a need for relationships with peers and with students. So there's also an increased capacity for abstract and conceptual thought at this time um, and growth beyond the egocentric thinking of childhood where it's just all about me, all about me. Um, so there's a heightened sense of self-awareness in adolescence where it's still all about me, but also how others are perceiving me. Um, and so there's a lot more potential for public embarrassment and shame in schools. And I find that sometimes in middle schools, we take advantage of that um, and, and give opportunities for more embarrassment than maybe we should. Um, this means that it's also more emotionally risky to participate in class. And usually it's this time where students start to feel less supported by their teachers as opposed to an elementary school 
Um, but really, it's at the de developmental stage where young people are looking to adults outside of their family for um, support and for guidance. And so we should be taking that opportunity to kind of build stronger relationships with students and give, um, sure, a different kind of support than in elementary school, but not less support. Um, many students, according to Faircloth, um, many students feel that they're invisible to many adults in adult systems, but they have to learn to speak for themselves. And uh, Faircloth uses the, the term to speak their identity. So if students are naturally self-centered when they're in adolescence, why not harness the self-centeredness and have them take time to question their belonging, to think about how they fit into the bigger system, and um, to use it to build a sense of belonging for, for everyone. Skinner and Lindstrom explain the importance, especially in adolescence, but really at any time, um, to increase self-awareness among students and to help build self-advocacy. This is particularly important because there's quite a bit of research around the fact that um, students who have learning disabilities or emotional behavior disorders have the highest rate of dropout out of any group of students. And so to make sure that they are learning about themselves and how their brains work, I think it's important for all students to learn how their brain work, brains work, but um, and learning to self-advocate so that they understand their skill sets and their limitations, but as well as how to com communicate what they need for success. Okay, let's talk about how teachers affect the belonging of students. I think I have about a billion points on this, but I'll try to cut it down to just the crucial pieces. Um, so according to an article published in 2016 by Chu et al, um, generally speaking, teachers have the greatest influence on students' sense of belonging at school, um, even more so than peers do, which I was a little bit surprised by because I think people often go right to, well, if kids don't have very many friends or aren't able to develop strong peer relationships, then that's why they don't belong. But really, the teachers have the strongest influence on this when it comes to student sense of belonging at school. So that being said, we got to talk about Nell Noddings. Now, if none of you have ever, if you have never read any Nell Noddings, please pause this episode and go read some now. When I read this one article that I'm going to quote right away, it's called Care and Education, I thought that I had found my kindred spirit. Yes, Nell Noddings is many, many years older than me. And yet, I love so much of what she has to say. And so in this article, she really says some things that I've always been thinking but thought it was too mean to think them, which is that some teachers legitimately don't care enough about their students. Now, this is not to say that they don't care about their jobs, that they do not show up and do their planning and do their marking and whatever it is, they do that. She is talking about how they don't care enough in the relational sense. And I think that this is such a crucial piece because care, especially at a middle school age, but I believe at any age, is so incredibly important. So please go read this article if you need it. If you can't find it or don't understand it based on the resources that I've posted, please message me and I will send you the article. It's awesome. It's open access too, so you shouldn't have any trouble finding it. 
So teachers play such a crucial role and care is so important, but also along with that is building a strong relationship between the student and the teacher. Anderman says that these relationships have to be characterized by fairness and respect. However, there are many, many other things. Um, Goodenow talks about how most academic motivation um, comes from the supportiveness of teachers and the school environment. Keyes talks about how you need to combine good practices and show commitment to student learning, but it's most crucial to foster relationships. Nemec and Ryan, ooh, I love this quote. In 2009, they published an article, and in it they wrote, people tend to internalize and accept as their own the values and practices of those to whom they feel or want to feel connected, and from contexts in which they experience a sense of belonging. In the classroom, relatedness is deeply associated with a student feeling that the teacher genuinely likes, respects, and values him or her. So I think this is so crucial, and I, we talked about it so much. Relationships, relationships, relationships. And I think that the piece that's often missing, and I don't have a lot of research to back this up, but this is just my, my gut feeling and in conversation, is the lack of self-awareness that sometimes teachers have. I think every, like, like Nell Nodding says, I think people do care about their jobs. That doesn't necessarily mean they're doing a good job of building relational care with their students. So in addition to building strong relationships, there are some other pieces that teachers can help with to um, build a greater sense of belonging. So one of them is to help teach interpersonal skills. So Anderman and Leek recommend using um, structures of participation that require peer interaction outside of the regular peer group. So don't just have kids sit with their friends or get to choose their own groups, but kind of force them into, into meaningful and structured interactions with their peers. Just to add to that, one of our interviewees talked a little bit about seating plans. And interestingly enough, Keyes did a big research project on how classroom belonging evolves. And one of the things that they talked about was using seating arrangements um, because they helped enhance the sense of belonging and behavioral engagement. This was as long as it was explained that it was to help facilitate learning. But if, if seating plans were used as a punishment, then the kids did not like them and they were not used to help foster belonging. Another big piece is giving appropriate feedback. So teachers need to provide feedback of performance and behavior, but they need to do so in private. So even if a large portion of your class is um, discussion and working in groups and all of these things, when it comes to providing feedback, whether positive or negative and on academics or on behavior, that needs to be done um, privately, just between you and the student. Another big piece is simply providing an audience for students. And I think that this piece gets lost sometimes because when we're talking about before, and this actually came from the same Faircloth article, when you have these students who are learning to be themselves and thinking about their identity and trying to figure things out, develop who they are, the teacher needs to be an audience for that to be happening and to watch it and to validate that and to um, accept these kids for how they are. A piece that actually comes in a lot is the importance of classroom management. 
which I think sometimes we don't think that kids notice when classroom management is not really there. Um, but if students perceive that a classroom is poorly managed or that they feel like a conflictual relationship between a teacher and a different peer in the classroom, they pick up on that and they feel a lack of connectedness around that and a lack of belonging. Keys also talks about how you have to um, handle disruptive behavior, to also have clear and consistent classroom rules, routines, and norms. And all of these go into creating an inclusive classroom environment that allows for belonging. Interestingly enough, in one of the uh, interviews, we talked about the use of sarcasm. And um, this educator talked about how she never uses sarcasm. And she teaches grade five. And I found a really interesting article um, because I, I generally agree with what she said, even though I'm quite a sarcastic person. Um, I try not to use it very often because kids don't always understand it. And so in an article by Larson et al. that was published uh, just last year in 2019, um, they talked a lot about how the effective use of sarcasm and how teaching the different pieces of sarcasm and, and language and how it's developed can actually help to build more positive relationships among diverse learners. It helps to critically analyze what was being said and a deeper understanding of language. What I really liked, and they quoted this in the article, um, was that they said that this type of teaching promoted critical language awareness and thinking instead of conditioned response. And I think we sometimes get stuck in that, that in order for students to be quote unquote respectful, they have to follow very particular rules of what school was or what school is supposed to be. And instead, um, letting them actually think critically and, and respond rather than just the conditioned response is so crucial. Another piece that was talked about, and they use the word attunement in this article by Norwalk et al., um, they talk a lot about attunement as in does the teacher understand what is going on in the school and are they able to pick up on so strange social situations and poor situations um, with bullying. So they came to the conclusion that greater teacher attunement meant for greater belonging. But many, many teachers, especially as the year goes on, they tend to be less in tune, less attuned to what was going on in terms of bullying, but this can make a huge difference. I think one of the things we talked about in one in the first interview, but comes up a lot, is that none of these things, aside from maybe the interpersonal skills, really have anything to do with the curriculum. Uh, to do with the, the actual outcomes that need to be taught within, uh, that are required to be taught according to the provincial mandates. And so I think that's very interesting because that is a lot of emotional labor and a lot of work and time and care that is put into being a teacher. And this is all the stuff that happens on the side. And so there is a lot of sacrifice and there is a, perhaps a need to sacrifice the busyness to sacrifice the coaching every team or the being on every committee in order for you to actually be present in your classroom with your students. The last point that I'll make about teachers is actually about teachers and communication and teachers communication with parents and with families. In an article by Gunn et al. that was actually published in 1999 from a bunch of professors at the University of Lethbridge, my alma mater, um, they talked about the importance of parent support and mentorship 
in order for school completion, especially for Aboriginal students. And so even though this article is very old, they have a lot of really interesting pieces about needing to teach interpersonal relationships, about providing counseling, but also that parent support and in inviting families in. And I think that that's so very crucial uh, in order for meaningful relationships to happen among parents and teachers, but also to build a larger sense of uh, belonging. I've got to share this little aside with you because I love this analogy. And so it was taken, it's actually an RCMP officer quote from an article that was written about a variety of different alternative education programs in British Columbia. And uh, here's what he says. It's like this kid is the center of a wheel and all these agencies are spokes feeding into the center of that wheel. And the more spokes, the more likely that wheel is going to turn. I love that because I think it's, helps to visualize the idea that that student is in the center and all of these different spokes, the communication with parents, the working with outside agencies, working with police officers, working with counselors, is this circle of, of support around the student to help them continue forward. So I just thought I'd throw that little bit in there. In an article published in 2009 by Weissbound, uh, he talks about how crucial relationships are in order to build moral character, but also how important the teacher-parent relationship is for all parties. And I think that this is so crucial. While these are all definitely things that the teacher contributes to and can teach, the teacher can do in order to help build belonging, there is a deeper sense that this is also not just a classroom culture issue, but a school culture issue. There's a really great article by Lee in Seashore Lewis that was published last year that talks about that even though it's the responsibility of the teacher within the classroom to help build belonging, there needs to be more of a collective sense of contributing to the learning opportunities. They believe that in order to build a strong school culture, you need to have this collective culture where everybody's working together. You also need to have a deprivatization of practice which means we're opening classroom doors, we're observing, we're sharing together. It's not one classroom for itself. And then we also need to have a reflective dialogue. And while these things are all about building a strong school culture, they can also be said for building belonging. That um, it needs to be shared, it needs to be reflective, it needs to be working together towards a whole goal. There's a lot to do with school culture and things that you can kind of easily fit into the school culture bubble. Um, so in a lot of the interviews, we talked about the school building and the school space. So having student artwork on the wall, having calming spaces, letting students decide how to decorate things, how to help make decisions and be part of that democratic process. But there's a lot of other, other things that are also involved. It's important that academic tasks are interesting, important, and useful, um, which helps kids feel uh, they report to be feel, feel more belonging. There's also a really great school of research that has a lot to do with focusing on mastery and improvement rather than on perfectionism or competition. Um, and this emphasis on, on mastery and task-oriented goals fosters a lot more belonging than more of a competitive atmosphere. In the Keys article published last year in 2019, students felt that learning needs were acknowledged and that was crucial to help build up belonging, but then also that the teacher continues to teach until everybody understands. Um, 
which is again a mastery oriented classroom. In addition to building these cultures of mastery and working towards improvement, it's also important to build a culture of trust and a culture of listening. Uh, a big part of this piece is communication. Uh, Biesta explains that communication, I love this definition of communication. Communication is the making of something in common, a shared understanding. And I think I really like this, especially when we're working with students, because I think so often, again, especially with middle schools and junior highs, there's kind of this us versus them mentality. Us is the kids and them as the teachers or whatever. But really, it has to be the sharing of ideas and the sharing of learning together and being part of this. Freer also explains uh, that dialogue and communication is an existential necessity and explains that it cannot be reduced to the act of one person depositing ideas into another. And I think school and teaching is misinterpreted as that a lot of the time that we are filling that pail of knowledge or we are giving this information when really we are all collectively working together to learn and grow and trust each other and talk with each other and belong together, which I think is so crucial. Not to toot the wonderful horn of Nell Noddings anymore, but I just love this piece that she talks about because so often I think students don't really feel like school is a place for them to belong, which is what we've been talking about this whole time. We often need to give our students power and give them a voice. Nodding states that, as we listen to our students, we gain their trust, and in an ongoing relation of care and trust, it is more likely that students will accept what we try to teach them. They will not see our efforts as interference, but rather as cooperative work proceeding from the integrity of the relation. And I just love that because I think so often teachers are kind of seen as an interference, school is an interference, and... Um, I think a lot of that is because it isn't that team. It's not that collective. It's one person, one sage on the stage giving all of that information. Unfortunately, there is quite a bit of research on the, the problems and the pain and the wounding that can happen at school. There's a really great book by Kirsten Olson called Wounded by School. And when I read it, I just kind of sat there pondering these things for a long time because sometimes I think of school as ineffective and while I can think back on my own experiences and there were moments that hurt or moments that made me uncomfortable for the most part I wouldn't say that school wounded me but she talks about all of these different pieces um, that go into school and and how school can cause a lot of pain and a lot of deep damage to students, which I think is really, really sad, but really, really accurate. Um, so in this book, she includes uh, the Learner's Bill of Rights. And I would like to include this to you here as kind of one of, our, one of our final remarks. So here are the things that are part of the Learner Bill of Rights. Every learner has the right to know why they are learning something, why it is important now, or may be important to them someday. Every learner has the right to engage in questioning or interrogating the idea of importance above. Every learner has the right to be confused and to express confusion openly, honestly, and without shame. 
every learner has the right to multiple paths to understanding a concept, an idea, a set of facts, or a series of constructs. Every learner has a right to understand his or her own mind, brain, wiring, and intellectual inclinations as completely as possible. Every learner has the right to interrogate and question the means through which his or her learning is assessed. Every learner is entitled to some privacy in their imagination and thoughts. Every learner has the right to take their own imagining and thinking seriously. And I think that so many of those pieces have to do with our school culture and our trying to build belonging is that people need to be able to ask questions and people need to be able to um, be part of a dialogue and people need to be able to think and process and have privacy to do that and also have the skills to share it and all of these things. So I think that Bill of Rights is really powerful. If we think about what the point is of school, which is a whole other big topic, um, I've always wanted to create people who are comfortable in themselves and are willing to go out and help the world, right? No big deal. Not a, not a huge task. And um, the more that I, I think about this and the more that I've researched on, on belonging and how to change these cultures, the, the system is largely broken, but there are pieces that we can fix. And so I think we need to end on this note. And this is a quote from Paula Freire. If you haven't read Pedagogy of the Oppressed, I would highly recommend it. It was another one of those things where I read it and I just thought, oh, yeah, okay. It's awesome that people are thinking this way, even though he was thinking this way uh, a long time ago and, and that sort of thing. Aside from his non-inclusive language and use of man instead of human or something like that, I really like a lot of what he has to say. And so this is the, the quote I think we need to end on. The solution is not to integrate students into the structure of oppression, but to transform that structure so that they can become beings for themselves. What can we do to build belonging in students? How can we help them to become beings for themselves? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode that was very rambly and just me talking and blathering on and maybe not making a whole lot of sense. Thank you to those of you who listened to the previous episode. For those of you who have heard me um, complain and moan and groan about this project and all of uh, the stress and joy and wonder and frustration that has come along with it. Thank you to the many people who uh, participated in interviews with me, who did practice interviews with me before I started to make sure I wasn't totally off base in my questions, uh, to my lovely supervisor, to the readers on this project, to the many, many people who have talked with me about this project. And uh, I just have so appreciated this opportunity to share in my thinking and process this big scary thing that is belonging with you all um, over these episodes. So thank you so very much and have a wonderful, wonderful life.